Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. This is our last message on the series called Strong. Strong person profile, a person who is marked by great strength. Hopefully that is what has happened during this particular series as we start the year. Abundant resources, superior faith, prayer, and passion. Forceful when moving forward against obstacles, tenacious and tough, when fulfilling God's will. We've done four strong areas. Fervent prayer, spiritual battle, marketplace, and discipline. Today, I want to park just for a moment on strong worship. A person who worships God with all their energy and strength, holding nothing back. Strong worship. But worshiping with abandonment and passion. Loving God with deepest affection. What is it that captures your total passion, that pushes your passion button What is it that causes you to abandon yourself to anything? Where does that emotion come from in you? What circumstance? What atmosphere? What is it that opens you up to a place that you can allow that kind of abandonment? Worship is exactly that place. Strong worship service would look like this. Our worship is strong when all people, would everyone say out loud, all people? Worship, of course, was never supposed to be a spectacle. Sports. All people worship with all their strength. Worship was never supposed to be. Some are radical, some are strong, some just kind of worship. But all their strength and passion, when the focus is to please God, it's not about what others think, and to invite His power and presence to be released among us. What's a strong worship flow look like? Strong worship flow is with the person we read about. Strong in worship, strong worship service when everyone is doing the all, all strength, all passion, all might, all mind, all spirit, the all spirit. Then strong with worship flow is when people worship with all their heart. It's heartfelt, enthusiastic, expressive, satisfying, loving, passionate. It involves the total person, spirit, soul, and body. Free-flowing, joyful, dynamic, life-changing, Holy Spirit anointed, presence of God filled. Just look at those words for a few moments and think about church the way it's supposed to be. Not church the way you have known it or church the way you're comfortable with, but church as the Bible teaches a service or a gathering of God's people should be. We have a lot of traditions around this one hour called worship service in the American culture of religion. We have a one-hour tradition with many hundreds of flavors and kinds of what is called a worship service. The Bible knows nothing about them. The Bible doesn't go to them to standardize itself. The Bible doesn't go to them to change the Scripture. They should come to the Bible, I should come to the Bible, and standardize what the Bible says a worship service is. Not my right or yours to change what the Bible says. 
everyone lines up to the Bible. Now, if you don't know the Bible, you line up to, well, whatever tradition there is. And if you don't even care about the tradition, you line up to your own mind and just how you want to do it. And just kind of in your own spirit and soul say, this is how I'm comfortable with worship, so this is what I'll do. But really, it's not about really what I think and believe only about my own opinions. But it is about this thing called the Bible. And the Bible has some very clear things to say about God. God does not like lukewarmness. God does not visit half-heartedness. God does not like people having a lot of verbiage, but their heart is somewhere else. That's what the Bible says. God does not get a total pleasing emotion about that kind of a person. Their words are out there, but their heart's not there. Or they're total hypocrite. Or their life doesn't line up with anything they're singing or worshiping. Because worship itself is a word that connotes the whole life. Not just the words you sing, but it's your whole life that worships God. It's your whole surrender of seven days a week. That's what worship is really about. Worship is something about the heart. So one of the stories in the Bible when the woman comes in, visits Jesus at the house, and he's having a little small group meeting with a bunch of professional men. Women were not allowed in that meeting. This woman came in boldly anyway. Then she did something That was, well, it's never recorded anywhere else in the Bible that anyone ever did this to Jesus, so we don't know. She came into the room, and she stood behind him respectfully, but not quietly. She stood behind him. She had a big box under her arm, and she began to weep. And as she wept, she got the attention of the room. Of course, they didn't know what to do with this woman. She's weeping. She's she's standing behind Jesus. They know who she is. She's a prostitute. She's a loose woman from the city. They know the woman has a horrible reputation. They know the woman's life has been what it was in a moral life. And now this woman is coming into the room with these men. She has a box under her arm. But what they don't know is that she has encountered Jesus before that meeting. And she has fallen in love with God. And she had her life cleansed and forgiven deeply. And she began to weep. She couldn't control herself. So finally, she moved right around where Jesus, in those days, no chairs. He would be laying maybe on his side, and as they did in those days. She fell down right by his feet. It says that she wept out loud, and her tears fell on his feet. Had to be a very strange experience for Christ's humanity, at least. Woman's tears fall on your feet. Then she was so taken up with it that she opened her box. And in those days, you'd only have to just take a little bit of oil like perfume and rub it on yourself or whatever. It was very expensive stuff. That's what the Bible says. It was was condensed. It was a very expensive ointment. And she poured the whole thing on his feet. All of it. They were appalled at what she was doing. And as they began to murmur, Christ knew what was in their heart. Some of them said things. He just said, hey. Time out. Do you not understand what she's doing? This is not for you. This is for me. And it's for her understanding, which she must have, by revelation, saw the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So that's what Jesus says. She understands who I am. She's worshiping me accordingly. And don't you understand? He gave them the principle, the truest principle of worship. 
So don't you understand that when a person has been forgiven much, they love much. But of course, if you've forgiven and have been forgiven nothing or never received or asked for or been touched inside, and there's nothing inside of you that is ever moved toward God, you would not understand this kind of emotion. So Jesus, in a way, was rebuking them, revealing them, and teaching them all in the same punch. Don't you have heart for this? What's wrong? Does the kind of heart bother you? This kind of emotion get to you? Is, is there a problem with the atmosphere here? Well, yes, there is. We, if you knew who this woman was, you would not. I know who she is, and I know what has happened to her life. And if you knew who I was, worship cannot happen out there until it happens in here. Worship starts in the heart, not with the beat of the drums, the sound of the guitar, or the words on the screen. Worship begins inside the person. Worship begins with acknowledging, oh God, oh God, you are so awesome. You've forgiven me of my sins. Oh God, my life would have been ruined, but you came in. Oh, God, I think of all your goodness, and I think of all that you've done, your miracles, your healing, your provisions, your touching my life and my wife and my children and my friends and everything before me. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed at your goodness. Worship is not about the song. Worship is about the spirit in your heart that makes the song live. Songs are dead until your spirit puts life in them. They're just words. Just like this book is dead until your spirit puts life in it. It's a dead book to a dead spirit, but it's a living book to a living spirit. It's dead worship to a dead-hearted person, but it's living worship to a living-hearted person. When you worship, There needs to come that heart that belongs in worship. Strong worship words. Mark 12, verse 30. You shall love. Come on, shout the word love. We all kind of know what that word means, but biblically it's a setting of the will toward. Shall love the Lord your God. I like the Amplified because it says, out of and with. And I think that is a perfect definition of how it works. How do you love? Out, out of, and then with my heart. Out of and with my soul. Out of and with all my mind. With your faculty of thought and your moral understanding. And out of and with all your strength. This is the first what Jesus says. This is the first, the first, not the third, the seventh. It's the first principle of the kingdom of God. If you can't find that place to start with, prayer, worship, giving, you name it, none of it finds the right expression until it's out of and with a heart that's filled with love. Out of and with a mind that understands what God has done. It's that 
relationship. Now, what's the hindrance to worship? The hindrance to worship can be these very subtle and real thoughts that come to people. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, in verse 20 through 23, when David was bringing back the Ark of the Covenant, the symbolic box that spoke about the most holy place and that Ark of the Covenant that they worshipped around the Ark. If you don't understand what it is, I can't explain it right now. But it represented the glory of God, the presence of God, the voice of God, and the place you want to be with God. That's what the Ark was. The Ark, not Noah's Ark, but the Ark of the Covenant. And David was bringing it home, and it had been taken by the enemy and been gone for a number of months. And now David had enough willpower and revelation to bring the ark to Jerusalem. And that's the beginning of the tabernacle of David that didn't have a brazen altar, laver, a candlestick, or incense. It only had one piece of furniture, the ark of the covenant. David brought the ark back and set it up in Mount Zion, the city of David. And there you have most of the Psalms written. Most of the history of worship in the Old Testament is with the idea of the tabernacle of David going up to Zion. Every Zion scripture you read is the tabernacle of David. It's the Ark of the Covenant. You can't separate it out. That's what it is. So David established the singers and he wrote the Psalms and they would have choirs and music and worship. And there was a revelation that began with David. Why? Because he was a harp player. He was a worship out of and with. There was something in David that just loved God. That's why God says, I, I love this man. He's a man after my own heart. I love David. I know he has problems, but you know what? David's my kind of guy. That's what God said. I love this guy. Why, David just had a heart for God. When it came time to do warfare and other things, he could do that. But his real skill was to love God with all of his heart, even on the backside of the desert, by himself with a harp. He was a musician. He was a singer. He was a lover of God. And so he's bringing the ark back to the rest of the congregation to say, listen, we got some work to do. We're going to learn how to worship God. They had never, ever, 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 ever worshiped God the way they were going to from the time David brought the ark back. This was the beginning. So when he brought the ark back, He was dancing before the Lord. It says how glorious was the king. Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out and watched David. Because every six steps, they would stop, make a sacrifice, and go on. And David only wore a linen ephod, which was the undergarments of the priest, which was not the garments of a king. But he brought king-priest together, which is another theme that takes up from David on. But as he wore the linen ephod, it says that he danced before the Lord. And the Hebrew word there is that he was twirling and jumping and he was letting go. And he was being what some people would call an idiot, a fool, an embarrassment, emotion out of control. That's what Michael said. Michael said, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids and your servants as one of those base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. This is his wife rebuking him for dancing before the Lord. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father. That was kind of his slap back. He chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over all the people of the Lord and over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord And I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble 
in my own sight. This is a guy that would not let someone embarrass him, rebuke him, or put him in his place. He came right back and says, by the way, what I do is not for you, Michael. Yes, I married you, and yes, you are my wife. And yes, you have totally missed what's going on here. God chose me. God blessed me. God's presence is in that box. This represents his kingdom. And I will be even more undignified tomorrow than you've ever seen today. So you might as well get used to it, kiddo. Because I'm getting worse, not better, when it comes to this. And Michael just, something in her heart. And it says in the Bible, from that day forward, she was barren and never had a child and died. She was barren her whole life, which was a real curse in those days for a woman. God is the one who opens and shuts the womb. But her response to David was her response to God. Now, what are some hindrances of a wrong spirit toward worship? Here's a couple. Let's make sure we get rid of these. One is responding to worship expressions with a wrong or a negative attitude. You might say some things like this. Just be careful. If you have, repent and go on. Some people just need a lot of exuberance. Others of us don't. The implication is more mature people don't need to act like this. That's the implication. Well, you know, people like exuberance and people do a lot of stuff. And, but the implication is, but I, you know, I'm past that. I don't need to act like that. I'm mature. It's all a matter of a person's cultural background, isn't it? It's all a matter of a person's cultural background. You and I are culturally reserved. The implication is reserved is socially superior or culturally advanced. And that really gets me sometimes. It's all a matter of a person's, hey, come on, Frank, not everybody should lift their hands. I mean, come on, that's just for charismatics and Pentecostals. Hello? God is not charismatic and he's not Pentecostal. He's just God. He's not God the Pentecost. He's just God. And the way God likes worship, he says to people, lift your hands. Black, yellow, white, red, short, tall, fat, skinny, Baptist, Pentecostal. It's just hands to me. Lift them up. That's what the Bible says. It's what the scripture says. You don't have a right to say, well, you know, this is just culturally doesn't fit me. Well, then change. Well, why should I change? Just read the Psalms. Well, I don't like clapping. Tough. I don't like standing. I'm sorry. I don't like doing this funny little thing you do in between songs. Why? If we all standardize our personalities as really the conicity of Scripture, we have a huge problem. Did you understand what I just said? If everybody does what is right in their own eyes and calls that the standard, then personality becomes the standard for church. Not Bible. But your opinion canonizes worship. Not my culture, not my background, not my personality. That's why we're all new in God. And when we come to Christ, 
we have a new set of emotion, just like the woman with the alabaster box. We open up to God. Hallelujah, Lord. See, Dad, I've never seen you do that before. I know, huh? But, geez, God's done so much to me. It's that heart. All right, now, second one. The hindrance of limited, of no biblical knowledge about worship. I asked you to just get familiar with the Bible. If you want to know about worship, read the Psalms. The New Testament says there are three categories of Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's Ephesians 5, 18, 19. I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. And so my standard for worship is really in the spirit of the Psalms. It really is in the spirit of the hymns. And it really is in the spirit of the song of the Lord or a spontaneous song that just comes forth without practice, just a song of the Lord. My hindrance could be Bible knowledge. Third, my hindrance could be my own church worship experience. I'm just not used to this, and I know that, and that's why we don't pressure every service. I don't preach like this all the time, but we're talking about strong and worship. I want you to learn how to worship what we perceive to be a Bible way. I have scriptures for everything we do. I have Bible doctrine for everything we do in worship. As far as lifting of hands, clapping of hands, standing, audible praise, flow of praise, uh, even spiritual language. I have, I have a theology on this. It's not just, hey, this is a good thing to do. Let's try this for a while. It's not that way. It is an absolute value. It's a conviction. It's a doctrine. And it belongs to the scripture and to God Almighty. It doesn't belong to me. I'm just trying to cooperate with truth. And I want you to do the same. Can I hear an amen? Amen. You're you're seemingly very quiet this morning. How many of you would say, but it's a good message? Good, good. That would be. How many of you would say, you know, the culture of City Bible Church did take me a little bit to get used to. Culture of worship. Let me see your hands. It's okay. How many of you would say, and I kind of like this alabaster box stuff around here. I kind of like being able to open my life up a little bit and just sing with all my strength and let the presence of God fill me. It's what it's all about. What it's all about. Third, the hindrance of wrong church teaching our tradition. Someone that comes along and says, lifting their hands is wrong, clapping is wrong, singing out loud is wrong, songs like that are wrong. Well, that would be challenged, but maybe you've had some and you're hung up on that. Just go to the Bible and start reading. The hindrance of living in a godless culture. Our culture takes away all worship spirit, waiting on the Lord's spirit. Our culture is sin-driven market, sensual, sexual, materialistic, attacking the mind, pressures, finance, busyness. I mean, our culture does not help us come in and take a breath and move into worship. Sometimes we drag to the church and we can barely get ourselves ready. About halfway through, we finally start relaxing a little bit. By the time it's the last song, we just got there and the worship service is over. That's why it's so important for you to get ready for worship before worship. Settle your spirit down. Open your mind. Don't let the godless culture rob you. The hindrance of your own personal spiritual status. If you don't have any depth of spirit yourself because your own spiritual status. If your own spiritual status is low 
on depth or low on prayer, low on loving God. I mean, you don't even think about loving God until you actually get into a worship service. And then you kind of remember, oh, yeah, I guess I really should know how to love God more, but not where I'm at in life right now. That's, that's something you put your finger on and then say, you know what, I want to change that. I want to bring something to the worship service that's worthy of God, worthy of worship. God's moving in my life.